You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Hi, folks. Welcome to another Domecast weekend. This is Benjamin Brown from The Insider coming to you from the News and Observer's headquarters on McDowell Street in downtown Raleigh. Uh, as always, a really great show lined up today with our favorite journalists in the state, uh, Lynn Bonner, Craig Jarvis, Colin Campbell of the NNO, and my boss, Patrick Gannon, editor of The Insider. Uh, we're all seated around a table in the publisher's conference room. And last week, what, what an episode that was, If it, with the congressional redistricting situation, really want to say is the gears are still kind of turning on that situation regardless Go back and give that a listen if you remain confused about what happened last week. Still, some things happened after we recorded it, but uh, it's still a good primer on uh, what's going on. But um, our eyes right now are on some of the primaries coming up. And uh, Colin Campbell, you've, um, you, you've, you've been covering some specific races. Attorney General is, is, uh, is one. Uh, of course, Roy Cooper going for the governor's seat, so we have some people trying to slide in that spot to succeed him. Uh, Josh Stein, Buck Newton, those are sort of like the bigger names from the, uh, from the Democrat and Republican side than Jim O'Neill and, uh, Marcus Williams. But let's kind of break it down by party. Let's start with Josh Stein and Marcus Williams. One, one name we know better than the other. Yeah, for sure. That one, I mean, Josh Stein is the clear front runner there. Mm -hmm. He's raised, I think, a million and a half dollars. Uh, he's been sort of in the process of, of working on this campaign for well over a year. I think as, as soon as Roy Cooper announced or or was, people realized Roy Cooper was going to be running for governor, Josh Stein started to sort of, uh, make the rounds on, uh, being a, a candidate for attorney general, so much so that he actually had a campaign tracker, uh, videotaping his every move during the That's legislative right. session yeah. last year mm -hmm. uh, so as the, in the hopes that he would make some sort of gaffe and that would uh, eventually benefit the Republican in the race. Uh, Marcus Williams is lesser known. He's actually been uh, running for statewide office on a number of occasions, I think starting in about 1992 when he lost mm -hmm. a Democratic primary to Jim Hunt for governor and he's also run for uh, U.S. Senate a couple other times. Uh, never really gets more than about 10% of the vote. He's an attorney from down in the Lumberton area. Okay. Um, has worked, uh, led a couple of uh, legal aid type groups uh, in the past and sort of touts his, uh, I think, 37 years of legal experience. But um, he's got a very low funding campaign and, and sort of struggling to get his message out on the Democratic side. So that one, I think the Democratic side in this race is a little bit less interesting in that, you know, it would be very, very unlikely for Josh Stein not to, to win the primary. Uh, the Republican side is sort of where it gets interesting. Right. I, you yeah. mentioned Buck Newton, who when he filed or when he announced, I guess, last March or April or whatever it was, uh, we all sort of figured, okay, this guy's the Republican frontrunner. He's the chairman of the Judiciary Committee in the Senate. He heads the Justice and Public Safety Appropriations. So he's sort of the, the legislature's logical choice to run as a Republican candidate for AG. We find out as we get closer to primary that this other guy has jumped in, Jim O'Neill, who mm -hmm. is not really known to people outside the triad area because he's the Forsyth County District Attorney. He's the DA, right. Yeah. Um, but he's actually has a slightly better funded campaign. And also some of the polling data we've seen indicates that he's actually uh, leading Newton. I mean, it's uh, polling this race you have to take with a grain of salt because it's showing that, you know, more than half the voters in the Republican primary are undecided. They don't know who either of these guys are. Um, but uh, basically the way the, the two candidates are casting this race. Newton is saying, look, I understand the state legal issues. I've been in the legislature. I know all the bills that we've passed. I've helped write the laws. Um, I'm going to be able to deal with everything that the attorney general deals with because I know all the issues. 
O'Neill is pushing the tough prosecutor angle that, you know, he's the only one who's put murderers behind bars. Mm -hmm. You know, he's going to be the AG is going to be representing some of the uh, major criminal cases that go up through the appeals system. And he says it'd be scary to have somebody who hasn't, you know, tried a murder case before. So he's then touting all the the different uh, efficiencies and reforms he's made in the Forsyth County DA's office, some of the uh, major cases he's he's tried in the Winston-Salem area uh, and just saying, you know, this is the, the logical step if you want. You know, you're looking for this top prosecutor statewide. Why wouldn't you want to vote for a guy who's the top prosecutor in one of the you know major metro areas? So these these are some of the messages that have been heating up in in advertisements. Is, is yeah. fundraising kind of going in that direction? Yeah. So they're uh, the both uh, O'Neill and uh, Newton have enough money to get on TV, and they've actually uh, Newton has had ads for a couple of weeks now. Uh, O'Neill has just launched, I think, his first TV ad, um, and has that airing in the next couple of weeks. So you'll see, I think, like 15 second ads for him. Uh, so both these guys will have the the resources to get their message the Republican primary voters, and it's going to be interesting to see which one walks away with it. This is a race that I would not bet on either way. I think it could go mm-hmm. go for either of these guys, which makes it all the more fascinating to watch wow. because AG is, you know, this is the first time in, what, 10, 12, maybe more years that we've had a competitive AG's race because right. Roy Cooper has been, you know, getting reelected every time. And, you know, you, it's hard to go up and against an incumbent when, when there's no incumbent. Uh, the race is wide open and it could go for either party or either of a couple of candidates within one party. And on the Democrat side, are we seeing anything from Marcus Williams in terms of uh, messaging? Does he have the fundraising to, to be able to do that and get his name out there? No, he's mostly, if you look at his fundraising report, it's mostly just money that he's put into his campaign himself. He's doing a lot of traveling, so he he goes around the state and he talks to these Democratic Party groups that are having candidate forums. So he's he's seen on that level, but he's not really able to, to get his message out through any form of advertising or anything that sort of takes him up to the next level of, uh, you know, being a, a high-profile candidate. Okay, so Josh Stein, Marcus Williams, Buck Newton, Jim O'Neill. Uh, you've done a lot of coverage on this, um, so I guess you're going to uh, continue monitoring this this beat as the as the Yeah, so we'll see what happens in the primary and then the general election. I mean, whether it's O'Neill or Newton on the Republican side is going to be a, a very close race, I think, and, and quite heated. Uh, you know, a lot of these outside money groups, we haven't seen them enter the race yet, but... Um, attorney general is a pretty important role, and it's one of the the most important statewide positions that's uh, sort of up for grabs and that you don't have an incumbent this year. So I think this mm-hmm. is one where you'll see a kind of surprising amount of um, outside money come in because uh, a lot of groups kind of want to have the AG behind them because that does really make a difference to a variety of policy issues that may get litigated in, in court um, once you get the legislature to, to do what you want on a certain issue. Right. And there's always a lot of interplay between the AG and the governor's office, the governor asking the AG to take a stand on a certain issue. And that, that that's where it gets into the sort of politics and campaigning thing with the uh, with with Roy Cooper right now. But yeah, I mean, they're all pushing the well, Roy, to claim that Roy Cooper is not defending some of the more controversial Republican laws. He says, mm-hmm. yes, I have. You know, if it's law, I'm, I'm doing my job. I'm upholding it, but there's some right. cases where it gets to appeal and he says, you know, it's not worth pursuing it further, that sort of thing. Um, but then the Republican candidates in the AG's race are pretty strongly stressing, hey, look, if you elect us as fellow Republicans, we'll be able to work with the legislature, with the governor, assuming right. that's still a Republican. Um, and those outside legal costs, those millions of dollars that have been spent on attorneys outside the AG's office, you won't need that anymore because you can just rely and trust that the AG is going to be uh, behind these laws that they're passing. Definitely going to be a highlight. Thank you, Colin. And Lynn Bonner, moving over to Lynn Bonner right now. Um, we'd be crazy to say that education is never a, a hot button issue in politics. Always. But uh, all the same, when it comes to elections, the superintendent of public instruction 
isn't always a forefront race with everyday people. You know, it's but, definitely you know, one of those down-ballot, down-ballot races. Yeah. But um, the Republican primary is astonishingly interesting this year. Um, you know, in the past, some of the down-ballot races haven't um, drawn candidates where you say, oh, Wow, that person is really, uh, really qualified. So very often, you're saying, "Well, how do you are you how are you qualified for this office?" But mm-hmm. this uh, this uh, this race has drawn some interesting candidates. Uh, Rosemary Stein's a pediatrician uh, in Alamance County. Mark Johnson, a lawyer who is uh, on the Winston Salem Forsyth School Board, and these are Republicans, right? and these are Republicans, mm-hmm. and Wesley Sills, who is a teacher in Harnett County, um, and they're having a surprisingly lively. Uh, campaign. Most of these, you know, down ballot campaigns where there isn't a lot of money mostly happens in, you know, the Republican clubs going from county to county talking to Republican groups. But um, they've really uh, sort of taken a stand on some interesting issues. I mean, there's, um, we've got Johnson who was saying that um, his opponents are not uh, as strong as he is on uh, technology and that he wants to uh, you know, to use technology in in the schools to personalize learning, while his uh, opponents are are less interested in that. Um, they're both uh, both the gentlemen are questioning Stein over some comments that she made about uh, teachers and um, and how difficult it is to be a teacher. Uh, mm-hmm. Where she apparently said uh, teaching isn't hard, um, and so uh, there's a. There's an, a surprising amount of uh, video and claims and counterclaims circulating in this in this race. Um, the two Democrats, obviously, uh, uh, June Atkinson, who was mm-hmm. running for uh, her fourth term, and uh, Henry Pankey, who was an assistant uh, principal in a high school uh, in Guilford County, I believe. Uh, he had some fame as a turnaround principal in high schools. Uh, he was in Durham for a while and was known for a guy who uh, would uh, take over um, low-performing high schools and turn them turn around. Um, he uh, has claimed to fame was, you know, carrying a bullhorn and, and uh, bullhorning kids uh, mm. in the hallways in the lunchroom. Like a Joe Clark yeah, kind that's, of thing. That's right. He's the Joe Clark mold. Uh, he downplays that now but says that he is um, – uh, you know, he's interested in uh, turning around schools. Um, it's, uh, you know, June, June Atkinson has had, a, you know, years, you know, building networks. It would right. be mm-hmm. difficult to see her losing um, a primary. But um, the Republican primary is going to be interesting. Uh, you know, Johnson has uh, – uh, the most money, but so he he had yeah. done some some, some good fundraising. Yeah, he, he had has, some money from his, his previous, previous position, right? And, yeah, but Stein has been working uh, and running for this job for for quite a while. Um, looking back, it seems like she's been talking to groups about running for for months before the filing opened. So it's going to be uh, interesting. Okay, and are, are there endorsements coming? I think I saw the Association of Educators endorsing Atkinson, which I don't oh, think course, is necessarily yeah, yeah, a surprise. Right? Yeah, that's that's not a not a big surprise. Endorsements, not that I know of, on the Republican side, but okay. definitely NCA for for Atkinson. Okay. Well, Lynn, thank you very much. Um, uh, like I said, this is not necessarily a forefront race for a lot of people out there, but it looks like it's kind of getting spicy yeah. this time, for lack it of a better word. There probably is a better word, but I'm not saying it. Yeah. Um, General Assembly races. Um, this is uh, definitely a forefront issue, regional for for everybody involved. But uh, 
a lot of primaries we have our eyes on. Uh, Pat Gannon, what are we looking at? <clears throat> so the yeah, the the primary uh, races for the General Assembly, both in the House and Senate, are definitely starting to heat up in in, in um, certain parts of the state. Um, did a story this week about how the North Carolina Chamber is stepping into um, stepping into some of the races, uh, both in the House and the Senate. Uh, in terms of uh, paying for and distributing mailers in, in some of these districts. Probably the most interesting uh, place where the chamber is active is in Representative Justin Burr's district, which includes uh, Stanley in Montgomery County. So he's being challenged by a guy named uh, Lane Burris, kind of a, uh, a political novice, but somebody who's been involved in that community for a while. And it's interesting because the chamber is actually supporting Burris. It's the only place, mm-hmm. where, the, at least that we know of so far, where the chamber is supporting uh, uh, an opponent to an exist to an incumbent. Um, uh, Justin Burr is convinced that the chamber's in that race because uh, of his outspoken criticism of House Speaker Tim Moore right. and the Republican leadership. Burr is in that kind of more conservative wing of the House Republican uh, caucus um, that has been very vocal of the speaker. So, so Burr uh, thinks that the chamber is doing that at the speaker's behest. The chamber... Uh, absolutely denies that and says that Burr didn't rank very well in their uh, how they voted uh, report. I think he got a 63% out of the bills that the chamber looked at as mm-hmm. as business friendly. I think he he voted for 19 of them and against 11 of them, which was on the lower end of the, uh, for the Republican caucus. Uh, so very interesting there that the chamber's getting involved in a uh, against an incumbent. There's also chamber involvement in Senator Hartzell's uh, 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 sen- Senate district. Um, he's obviously not running for reelection, and there's uh, four Republicans vying for that seat. One of which is Paul Newton, former uh, Duke Energy executive, and the chamber supporting him with mailers. Uh, then there's Tom Apodaca's seat. That's also an open seat because uh, Senator Apodaca is not running for reelection. Up there, there's a guy named Chuck Edwards who owns a bunch of McDonald's franchises, very active in the community. Uh, there's two other Republicans vying against him, but the chamber supporting Chuck Edwards down in Wilmington. There's a very hotly contested oh, yeah. race, and Ben, ben knows these folks. It's uh, Holly Grange is a uh, kind of a businesswoman, a veteran, uh, very involved in the community. She's on the Ports Authority Board of Directors. She's uh, facing Tammy Koval, who's who's uh, a New Hanover County School Board member, and and this this race seems like. An establishment versus a, a more Tea Party, more ultra conservative. Uh, that would be Tammy Koval. She, she's seemingly more conservative. Holly Grange is more uh, the establishment candidate. So the chamber is supporting Holly Grange there. Um, and then uh, up in the northeast part of the state, Michael Ray, uh, Representative Michael Ray, a Democrat right. uh, who's facing a seemingly strong challenge from a a, a a pass a Baptist pastor named Franklin Williams, who's challenged uh, Ray before the chamber supporting uh, Michael Ray there. And he's one of the I think he's still on the uh, Democratic leadership team in the House. Mm-hmm. So there, those are five five areas where the the chamber is active right now. Uh, they won't tell me how much they're spending, but they are uh, um, purchasing mailers in all those locations. And, and they may get active in other races, too, as as primary nears. Gotcha. Okay. Well, yeah, we're definitely going to have some more coverage on that um, in the Insider and the News and Observer as we get a little closer to the primaries. Thank you, Pat. Right. And um, Lieutenant Governor, some Democrats are angling to unseat Dan Forrest, who is running again. Um, Holly Jones, Linda Coleman, Robert Earl Wilson, uh, Ronald Newton, uh, Craig Jarvis. What do you know about this race? Yeah, it's worth at least mentioning. It, it is a very interesting race on the Democratic side, mainly because we have Linda Coleman <coughs> excuse me, running again. She used to be 
Uh, well, she was in the uh, legislature, then she was uh, ran the state personnel office, but she ran against Forrest four years ago and barely lost to something like under 7,000 votes. Uh, so everybody kind of knew she was going to run again. Right. Mm-hmm. And almost, at, not not really at the last minute, but, but sometime late last year, I think it was, Holly Jones of Buncombe County uh, commissioner uh, joined the race. So she, uh, the two of them are really the big fundraisers here. They're they're the ones that are going to be uh, <clears throat> butting heads in this. It's going to come down to one or the other. Um, Ron Newton is a uh, is a owns a financial services firm in uh, in Durham. Uh, Robert Wilson is Wilson is a he lives in Cary. He's a former uh, liaison for the Secretary of State's office, and um, uh, they're all out there working hard. Um, but it's just mainly because of this this uh, Linda Coleman redo. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be uh, kind of interesting. Yeah. Okay. So th- th- this is a lot of stuff to keep up with. And thanks everybody for catching us up on what's going on the the, the primaries. I mean, it's a lot for anybody to keep up with. So keep looking at us for coverage because we're going to have a lot more as the uh, the primary nears and of course March 16th then we kind of get into uh, another round of things with the congressionals after that uh, unless something uh, odd happens with the court system we'll see um, but uh, we're going to go ahead and take a break and we will be right back we all want to be recognized because sometimes we want our voices heard and we want to recognize you when you come to make your voice heard at the voting booth This election, you'll be asked to show a photo ID at the polls. And if for some reason you can't get one, no worries. You'll still be able to vote. Just come to the polls and we'll help you cast your ballot. This election, be recognized. Because every voice matters. For information or help getting a free ID, visit voterid.nc.gov. Hey folks, welcome back to the Domecast. The primaries are coming up. That's what we've been talking about. And if the advertising spectrum is any clue... The bond referendum is going to be a fairly high interest piece on the ballot. $2 billion for plenty of improvements around the state. If it's approved, it's something Pat McCrory has talked about for a long time. But when it comes to campaigning for the bond, some have said there are some blurred lines between candidates campaigning for re-election and coordinating with the effort to see the bond passed. Uh, state elections officials last year said the bond committee could feature candidates uh, in, in ads for the bond passage as long as it wasn't done in coordination with those campaigns. Is that right? But, th- but then we've seen... It, at least two complaints this week alleging violations to that, correct? Yeah, that's right. Uh, th- these complaints come from Progress NC, a liberal advocacy group that's been a real thorn in the side for the McCrory administration in particular. Uh, they filed a complaint with the State Board of Elections uh, saying that these two committees – Pat McCrory's campaign committee and the referendum committee to pass the bond uh, improperly coordinated in producing these videos, which presumably will be used in advertising. Um, and they coordinated um, in, in, in a couple ways is the, is the allegation. One, the, uh, the bond people are saying, no, we didn't do that. But there was a kickoff event at NC State on January 5th, and we used footage from that. Well, they did for Dan Blue and for former Lieutenant Governor Walter Dalton. But for McCrory and for Representative Ken Goodman, they did what appeared to be little sit-down interviews. They were not part; they didn't seem to be part of that program. Mm-hmm. And the direction they got they, that uh, Kim Strack, the elections uh, director, had given them was that they had to uh, not uh, they could do anything like out in the public realm if there was an event like this particular event, or if they were talking to reporters afterwards, they could sure. use that, right. but not sit down and do anything special. Uh, 
in, in in addition, they said the production values in those two in McCrory commercials and in the Bond commercials looked the same. There was they appeared to be filmed by uh, a drone, as they described, in kind of a sweeping, uh, dramatic fashion. So those were kind of similar production. So, uh, so the, the, the values, the, the elements of the campaign materials are strikingly similar. The, mm-hmm. the allegation is that it, it looks like the result of coordination. That, that's what they're saying? Or? Yeah, yeah. It looks like they must have coordinated uh, to get this message out. And it's, uh, uh, you know, it's not a frivolous complaint. It's an interesting issue. It's complicated law. And I don't think the elections, I think the elections board would say that it, it's a little bit of uncharted territory. There, right. There is a, some gray area there. And another aspect of this, too, is if these, if there is improper coordination and it becomes uh, impermissible in-kind contributions, which involve corporate dollars, which is a no-no, mm, candidates right. in the state can't take corporate contributions. Uh, so, um, so, 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 what are McCrory's people saying about this? For instance, they're saying it's totally uh, uh, politically motivated that. The, uh, they're making in, in, uh, the Republican Party is making. Well, no, I guess it's McCrory's campaign is making the case that uh, Progress NC amounts to kind of a super PAC for uh, for uh, Roy Cooper, uh, and they're coordinating. And I, you know, I don't know. That's kind of a you know, rhetorical stretch, I think. But but the, but sure, sure, it is public. It is uh, politically motivated. No doubt about that. Gotcha. Well, thank you, Craig. Sure. Um, and speaking. Uh, of reactions from McCrory's people. Colin, you got a reaction from the governor's office on your coverage of a, a press release that appeared like McCrory was taking credit for some grant funding that would help downtowns. What what happened with that? Because it was kind of a moment. Yeah. So earlier this week, the McCrory administration sent out a press release and, and the language it used was said, uh, that the governor had secured $1.2 million in this year's budget for downtown revitalization grants that these 12 towns, uh, 12 or 13, I believe, towns were going to get uh, about $100,000 each for a downtown revitalization project. Um, that raised a little bit of a red flag to me because I had written a front page story on this same topic back in October, shortly after the budget passed, mm-hmm. as we were coming through sort of the uh, last minute additions to the budget, some of the details that uh, sort of escaped our attention in the, the final days of the legislative session. And this was something, as I started drilling into it, was clearly a, a project of House Speaker Tim Moore. He basically had some money. Uh, left over at the end of the budget negotiations, was looking for something uh, to put that towards, and he decided that he was going to select uh, these towns to get downtown funding. Some of them hadn't even asked for it. Uh, two of them are in his district, um, and a lot of them are all uh, our district or in towns where the representative is somebody who's a close ally of, of Speaker Moore in the House. Right. Um, so it was pretty clear from our coverage earlier on that you know this was something that that Speaker Moore put in there, and it, it hadn't been in the budget before in any iterations of it. So then the governor sends out this press release saying he secured the money and, you know, so basically he's taking credit for something that, that Tim Moore did. I wrote a story about that and was in about 15 minutes. Uh, I got a call from the, the governor's press secretary, Graham Wilson, who was upset with the story um, and basically said, look, the governor signed the b- budget, so he's was involved in in making this this project happen. Of course, uh, the Democrats pointed out very quickly that there's a lot of things in the budget that the governor is not taking credit for. You know, the the sales tax expansion uh, that's going into effect fairly soon was something where he signed the budget that had that in there, but he made it very clear that you know this was something that he did not approve of. He did not want to see in the budget, but he wasn't going to go to the extra step of vetoing the budget and creating this whole additional chaos of time without a state budget on the books. 
Okay, so you get a reaction from the governor's office. Uh, how does that sort of uh, play out or change over the couple days or that news cycle? You know, it's a, we just sort of add that to the story. So, I, yeah. you know, the nice thing about publishing online first is when you get a reaction like that, you can Go add that into the story. Um, I always try to make it clear to the readers that we are adding that as a result of a phone call that took place after the initial story was published. That it wasn't, you know, we're not correcting our, our work. Our, we stand by our work. But if there's an additional reaction that comes in from someone like the governor's press secretary, Secretary, it's worth sharing that with with the people who are reading the story. Uh, you know, not in the first thirty minutes. It's been on the internet. Yeah, gotcha. Well, thank you, Colin. Um, I think we're going to go ahead and uh, jump into another break, and we will come right back with our headliners of the week segment. So you smash your thumb with a hammer. Ouch! You race to the hospital. And they ask, what medications are you taking? Thankfully, in your wallet is a list with your medications on it. Wife went to safemedication.com, downloaded the free template, and wow, that pink pill has a real name. To create your own medication list, visit safemedication.com or talk with your hospital pharmacist. Brought to you by the American Society of Health System Pharmacists. Back to the Domecast, and now it's time for... Who is your headliner of the week? Who is your headliner of the week? Who is your headliner of the week? Headliner of the week. All right, there are plenty of leftover topics to talk about this week, and I have a feeling that's going to carry the headliners this week. Uh, We're going to go around the table with our panel, and uh, 45 seconds to make your case... Let's start with Colin Campbell of the News and Observer. Who was your headliner of the week? Well, I'm going with somebody who uh, technically wasn't actually in a headline this week, um, but is probably going to be in the headline next week. Mm, uh, Senator Bob Rucho, who's been sort of the architect of a lot of the uh, Republican-led tax changes in the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, be a milestone for him and his policies coming on Tuesday, March 1st. That's when the expanded sales tax goes into effect, so you'll start to be taxed on auto repairs, so the labor, the stuff that's not currently subject to sales tax will be subject to sales tax. Other sort of repair, installation, maintenance services will uh, have a sales tax on it starting uh, March 1st. So expect to pay a little bit more when you do that. Um, and all that's all part of the uh, Republican tax shift from lower income taxes to more sales taxes on services and broadening the base. And that's something I think we'll see more of uh, perhaps as soon as the short session where there's a uh, talk of uh, increasing the standard deduction for income taxes, uh, which would, I guess, help people uh, more at the bottom end, but still not a huge uh, difference in how much you pay, uh, while at the same time perhaps talking about even more sales taxes than we're, we're getting now. We've done movie tickets, now we're doing car repairs, right, um, right. continuing that direction as we go towards a, a service economy. So as we get toward the end of February, maybe some businesses are going to see a little bit of a, a crunch for services. Yeah, I would be I would I would expect to see a crowd if you go Monday, uh, February 29th to try to get your car repaired, because anybody who's a, a smart uh, penny pincher is going to want to get their you know new tires put on or any other repairs that mm-hmm. they've been putting off. A rare February 29th for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Um, Bob Rucho in the hat for Headliners of the Week. Uh, let's go over to Lynn Bonner of the News and Observer. 45 seconds. Who was your headliner of the week? I'm going to stick with my education theme and pick charter schools. Um, they are growing uh, explosively. And there was a report out from uh, Charlotte Observer this week saying that uh, the new growth in enrollment is going to be largely in charters, not so much in the traditional public schools. And the Wake School Board is thinking, well, look at how charters are growing. How are we going to position ourselves to compete with charters? So uh, given uh, all the action over charters, their tremendous growth, I'm going to pick charter schools as my headliners. 
always making headlines, charter schools. Thank you, Lynn Bonner. Uh, Patrick Gannon of The Insider, who's your headliner of the week? I'm going to go with House Speaker Tim Moore. He was around the legislative building this week, even on an off week. And he uh, weighed in rather forcefully on the transgender bathroom issue in Charlotte, um, calling it a radical idea. Um, and when he was asked by a reporter, he didn't rule out the possibility of calling let all uh, the state's uh, legislators back to Raleigh for a special session right. to respond uh, through some type of bill to uh, what's going on with the transgender uh, bathroom issue in, Char- in Charlotte. He had some pretty strong uh, quotes about how are pretty colorful quotes in his response to to this issue. He said he was taught early in life that boys use the men's room and gals use the uh, ladies room. Um, who says gal anymore? I guess I guess Speaker Moore. But um, anyway, Speaker Moore. Representative Tim Moore in the hat for headliner of the week. Uh, let's go over now to Craig Jarvis of the News and Observer. Who you got? Well, I'm going to pick somebody who was actually not in the news this week on that same issue, Attorney General Roy Cooper. Uh, mm-hmm. Our colleague down in uh, Charlotte, Jim Morrill, has been trying to get uh, the Attorney General to address what he, uh, what his what he, his thinking is on that ordinance and has not been able to even get past the, um, the uh, his campaign spokesman on that. So uh, we're, we're going to have to uh, tighten the screws a little bit on that one, and so that's why I'm nominating uh, Roy Cooper. Roy Cooper. Okay, so that rounds it out. We got Bob Brucho, Charter Schools, Tim Moore, and Roy Cooper. And I think just from the possibility of having another special session, we just got out of one to deal with the redistricting issue. I'm going to have to pick Tim Moore just for the, 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 the weight of that topic. It was a national story, the, the transgender uh, bathroom issue. Possible special session to deal with it. I mean, are we hearing? I mean, they're going to be back in um, in April, April twenty fifth. Right. I picked him just because I knew he had audio, so I, so I was going to win. <laughs> well, let's let's go out with that audio then. Um, uh, quite convenient. Uh, Representative Tim Moore, headliner of the week this time around. Uh, thank you guys for listening, and we will see you next week. Uh, I believe that the Charlotte City Council has kind of forced that issue on us to deal with, and that it, it's a to that point, it's a it's a public safety issue where a person can identify can I, where a man can identify himself as a woman, even if he's a registered sex offender, doesn't matter, and can go inside a women's restroom where he would be around women and children, makes no sense. It's absolutely ludicrous. You've been listening to The Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.